Welcome to Make It Kick-Ass, where we help leaders of growing communities bring their people together with purpose and lasting impact. Join us as we explore how to make events engaging, exciting, energizing, and profitable so that you can build a healthy, sustainable community. I'm Isaac Watson, founder and lead strategist at Kick-Ass Conferences. And I'm Nessa Jimenez, operations manager at Kick-Ass Conferences. Now let's make it kick-ass together. Welcome back, everyone, to Make It Kick Ass. I'm Isaac Watson, and I'm joined, of course, with the fabulous Nessa Jimenez, Operations Manager for Kick-Ass Conferences, and our guest today, Mike Pacione. He is an international speaker and speech coach who specializes in helping executives, athletes, and entrepreneurs deliver smart and engaging messages to audiences of all sizes. Among his client list are James Clear, Laura Belgray, Don Miller, Amy Porterfield, Pat Flynn, Scott Hamilton, who remembers him, and more than 10,000 employees from companies like Apple, Google, and Nike. I met uh, Mike here at ConvertKit's Craft and Commerce Conference a couple months ago. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, man. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty excited for this. I know uh, story is like one of my favorite things to talk about, and I'm looking forward to helping helping your folks get even better at it. Excellent. Uh, so let's start off with um, a little bit of what like what piqued my interest about you at Craft and Commerce, this conference that uh, we attended and that you spoke at. Uh, you gave a talk on storytelling uh, on, during the main stage, and I'm wondering if you could just clue the audience in for a little context as to the three tips that you gave the audience about how to tell better stories. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I think that... Uh... <clears throat> In life, storytelling, I mean, forget like a business purpose, but in life, storytelling is a wonderful skill. Uh, people love the, the, the person at the dinner table who's got like this awesome story like that gets you invited back. That's that reputationally is great and helps so much in business, too. So, you know, every story is a little bit different, but I found that if you can do three things, you've got a pretty good chance at making the story work. So those three things are to, to leverage tension in the way that you're telling this story. And that's true even if the story is funny, right? So I'm not saying tension where we're like worried that someone gets stabbed or something, but just tension where the audience is saying, wait, what happens next? Hold on. Oh, wait, what? What? Or, or it's just like, come on, keep telling the story. Keep telling the story. That, that's how it should feel for your audience is that there's some level of tension. You can tell you don't have that if... You're telling a story to someone and they're going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like you get one, uh-huh. So tension's the first thing. Uh, the, the second thing is editing. Now, I, I think a lot of times people will tell a story where the best part is not the ending. And we've all done that, right? Where oh, yeah. you've got like this awesome story, but the best part's actually 75% of the way through and then the, the rest of it is like, and but it, it turned out that everything was okay, right? <laughs> like that's right. the ending of the story. Uh, so I understand that's why your brain processes it. When you're telling a story out loud, and this is especially true if you're if you're giving a speech, or you're writing an email, uh, or you're making a video, you actually have permission to edit it to end earlier. So what oh. we're shooting for there is the emotional impact for your audience. 
So let's say I'm trying to tell a funny story. I want to end with the part that makes them really laugh, even if in real life there's, there's stuff after that. So tension and editing, and then the last one is detail. Okay, so detail is always a little tricky because there are certainly people who give too many details. We all have that person in our life that's talking about... Uh, it's me. <laughs> is that you? What does it sound like when you tell a story? Oh, no, don't get me wrong. Like, I was taking notes during your talk because I was just... I had regaled some friends with a story recently, maybe a couple of weeks prior. And I was like, oh, crap, I didn't do that. Oh, crap, I didn't... You know, the best part was... Anyway, so that's me. Too much detail, not not ending when I should. Same, yeah, same. Detail's a tricky one. I mean, we can get into it more, but the, the long and the short of it is it's easy to have too much detail. It's easy to not have enough detail. Mm -hmm. And what, what you want is a small amount of detail that allows the audience to picture what's happening. But it doesn't need to be so complete as to say, Isaac had this earring on, and I remember there was a poster behind him. That's like, <laughs> the detail has to matter. So one of those yeah. details is helpful, or one of those details might be helpful, but we don't, we don't need, he was wearing a red shirt, and he had earrings, and I remember the poster behind him, because then it's, as a person listening, you're like, okay, that matters, that matters. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter, did it? <laughs> right, no, it didn't, it didn't at all. Uh, and I've definitely been guilty of that. <laughs> and I think... We probably all have at some point. And the reason why that happens is because for you, it's kind of fun to remember those details. Like there's a part of your brain that's getting a little dopamine hit of, oh, I was wearing my Pink Floyd t-shirt that day. But, you know, like any kind of communication, it's really about how the audience receives it. So that Pink Floyd t-shirt needs to, needs to matter for some reason. Yeah. So my three tips, you know, not, obviously I can talk more about these, but tension, editing, and detail. I was telling people about these three tips for years before I realized that there's a nice little acronym that ties in with speaking, which is TED. Hmm. There but you go. I know. I used to see it. Yeah. And it was like, I remember, like, I was literally, <laughs> I was giving this presentation and I'm looking at the screen, like big drop down screen, and I'm seeing those three things on the screen that I realized like, oh, that's an acronym. <laughs> I don't know where I've heard that acronym before, yeah. actually. <laughs> It's like a, a lot of speakers, but we'll yep. remember that one. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so um, you weren't just a speaker at Craft and Commerce, though. You right. played a big uh, part behind the scenes. So could mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about that and what you do to help uh, people become better speakers? Yeah. Craft and Commerce does something that's really smart, which is they pay someone, which is me, uh, to coach all the speakers. No, it's not, it's not exhaustive, right? So it's not like I'm doing 10 hours with each speaker or anything like that. But they pay for every speaker at the conference to have at least one session with me, mm -hmm. which um, <clears throat> some people use for brainstorming, some people use for general Q&A, some people use for rehearsing. But it's like, if you're a conference, uh, what, make her, what makes or breaks the conference? I mean, it's, it's the people who attend and the amount of networking that, that we all get. But it's also like if the speakers are good. And we've all been there where mm -hmm. our speakers are droning on and on, going mm -hmm. over their time limit, uh, they very obviously never rehearsed because we're 12 minutes in and they haven't hit point number one. So ConvertKit pays for this. It, it's not meant to be like a, a micromanaging thing. It's like it's it's just a bonus for the the speakers there. And I found it's really helpful for them for the speakers. It's really helpful for ConvertKit. It's really helpful for for me too. And it's it's pretty cool because. You know, someone sits down. I remember, like, Logan Yuri did such a good job at this conference. And I, I had this 
I was like a proud father. It's just like, ah, <laughs> oh, she did it. You know, we had we had looked at her Google Doc and I'd given her some advice, but there's a certain amount of what she can do with this. And she really took everything to heart. And her speech was just awesome. And so it's a really great thing for me. And I think it's, it's great for the conference, too, because nobody sucks. We always tell our clients that there are two components to a good conference. At the bare minimum, you need a good receptive audience and you need quality speakers. If you don't have those two, you can't have a conference, right? Yeah. So I think investing in the speakers is a really valuable way to do that. Um, what's interesting is that in, in typically we we will offer up some some voluntary speaker coaching of our own uh, just because we have so much experience working with people and mm -hmm. presentations and stuff. But it's it's not really coaching, if I'm perfectly honest. It's more <laughs> like topic development and helping pinpoint, mm. you know, like what to actually talk about. We don't do anything nearly close to what you would do in a more hands-on fashion to help actually develop the content and to, yeah. to train them. Um, Though so I will say even doing that is really helpful. It's amazing how many times I'm working with someone and I'm like, okay, cool. So you're the first phone call. It's like, okay, so when's the conference? What are you talking about? Like, I don't know. What? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> There'll be speakers on the plane to the conference that yeah. are still like trying to figure that out. I, I oh, yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. Um, okay, so so in the context of what you do, uh, what how would you describe the difference between a story and storytelling versus a narrative or constructing yeah, totally. a narrative around yeah, something? Yeah. Um, so years ago, I was, uh, I was, uh, I forget what it's called. What is it called when someone sends you their book to like, it's not, it's before it officially launches. What's that? It's like a proof or something. Or yeah, a... yeah. 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 So someone sent me their book that was purportedly about storytelling. And I read, I'm like in the middle of reading this and I, I had this moment where I was thinking like, I might not know what a story is. If this is storytelling, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, it's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, there are people who talk about storytelling with data. There's, there's uh, from stage storytelling, there's storytelling as a speech. There's, uh, there's the, the brand story or the, you know, story brands. Mm -hmm. So like, what, what are we even talking about? Well, I don't know. I guess everybody probably has a little bit of a different definition, but, but to me, a story is something that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And importantly, there is a sense of location. So location doesn't have to be like anything extravagant, but uh, the audience can picture the thing happening. And then there are other times where there are other things that I think people call stories that are really narratives. So it's an overall arc to a presentation, but it, it's not a specific moment in time at a specific location that people can picture happening. So like an example of that, uh, one of my favorite TED Talks is by a woman named Amy Webb. It's called How I Hacked Computer Dating. So the whole mm -hmm. thing is this narrative. You can imagine, actually, let me just say the title. What, what do you think happens in this talk? What happens at the beginning? What would you think? I, I think that she'd talk about maybe why she started it, right? Like how yeah. she yep. got into it. Then Very good. there's like a bunch of not great stuff that happens. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, then what happens at the end? And then she achieves her goal. Like she yes. she, she wins the game. She meets right? her guy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, that's very good. 
that's the over that's the overarching that's the overarching right. narrative uh she decided that she should try this computer dating thing uh she had a number of misses but she progressively got better and better at it and in, in her case it's like it's a super fun talk i mean she talks about uh figuring out like taking a scientific approach to even like how long you should be writing what your photo should look like things like that and at the mm -hmm. end she meets her guy and we all live happily ever after but that that's mm -hmm. the narrative mm -hmm. within that narrative there are specific stories mm. where she goes out on a date with a guy to a super expensive restaurant he says he's going to the bathroom he leaves and she has a bill for like two hundred dollars or whatever it was wow. that's a Whoa. specific story yeah but the narrative yeah. is like the, her whole journey that's a narrative but i think that's an important distinction because sometimes i don't know what people are talking about when they say story yeah uh, do you feel that a, way that's a really good point i mean you, you were describing the first part thing and i was like oh yeah that's a story it's a beginning and middle end but you're right. That's not. That's a, the narrative for the talk. The story is a specific example within that. That's a little kind of nugget of illustration or or conveying a point. Uh, yeah. Sharing the and experience. Each, and each of those is really helpful, and each of those matters. But mm -hmm. uh, the thing that, at least in a speech, like a lot of times, the story is the speech. The thing right. you remember is the specific story that happened at a specific time. Right. You walk away. Uh, like at, at uh, Craft and Commerce, I remember Amy Porterfield's story where she went to mediation and had a moment where she was talking to a business partner and just said, I will burn this thing down. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, she's got a 45 minute talk, but that's the, that's what I remember from it. The story yeah. is the speech a lot of the time. Yeah. So uh, I just think that's an important distinction to make because you need those stories that people re will remember within an overall narrative arc. And what do you think makes a good storyteller versus a bad one then? Yeah. So Nessa, who's, who's like a bad, you don't have to say the person's name, but who's that? Who's a bad storyteller in your life? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really? Yes. Cause I got ADHD. I start talking and I have a million other things. So I add like a billion like side quests to the story. I'm not good at it. Oh yeah. 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 You're a rambling storyteller. So yeah, you're, yes. you're, you add a bunch of extra details that don't matter. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I never That's, get to the point and by the, yeah, like I'm halfway through and I don't even remember what the point was. It's your own story. You don't remember what great. the point is. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's not great. That's not great. <laughs> So funny. Um, I think, I mean, all three of those things, tension, editing, detail really matter. But I think, I think detail is the quickest fix for someone like you, mm -hmm. which is uh, the audience doesn't need to know that you had lemonade that day or you were wearing Argyle <laughs> socks or anything like that. Um, I think when you think of someone who's a bad storyteller, it's usually because they're rambling and they're rambling with too much detail. Mm -hmm. And they are telling you every last thing that went through their brain. So usually what you want are one or two vivid details vivid detail uh we want to be able to so in the book made to stick they talk about this um the okay so they they did like a mock trial type thing and they they presented this one part two different ways um version one <clears throat> talked about the kids brushing their teeth version two talked about the kids brushing their teeth using a darth vader toothbrush which of those had more credibility to it like, what do you think? Credibility. Think, that's a... Yeah. That's a like, what was easier to picture? That's another way of saying it. What seemed well, like more... The Darth Vader one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The Darth Vader yeah. toothbrush. Yeah. So you want one or two of those details just to, to enable the audience to picture the scene. 
but you don't want the Darth Vader toothbrush and the AIM tooth AIM? Is that still a brand? You don't want the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 we don't need all the brand names, but just like one detail is really helpful. Um, especially if it is a detail that helps us picture the scene in which the story is taking place. Yes. Yes. I think, um, that's a really interesting point because it helps, helps the, the audience visualize and put themselves in that place in a way that, you know, if you're just, you know, describing so-and-so's hair and what they're wearing that day. And like, if you're overwhelming with details then you just kind of get lost in the imagination of it. Yeah. Yeah. And details, I will say details are also a way to even Nessa, so you're like, I'm not good at storytelling. There are people who are like pretty average that actually if they added detail would be really helpful. So an example of that, I was, I, was, um, I was helping a guy recently to talk about why he believed in this, telling the story of him joining the company that he works for. Uh, and what he was saying is he said, I knew they could change the world. I was like, okay, that's a powerful statement. That's pretty good. But you know what would be even better is if we can see that transformation having, happening in you. So do you remember when it happened? And he like walks me through this whole thing. He's like, yeah, um, <clears throat> we're at a coffee shop. And uh, I remember Dave coming and talking to me and he pitched me on the whole thing. And I wrote down in my notepad, if they can accomplish this, it will change the world. So do you see how that second version where we're like, we're in the coffee shop and he's writing it down on a notepad like that, that hits on a much deeper level. And that that's the better storyteller. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm trying to figure out like storytelling, obviously storytelling is important. Yeah. Why? Why is that? What is it about stories that connect us so much? Is it like human experience? Is it, I, I don't yeah. know, what, put your science hat on. Tell me why. Okay. So <clears throat> it's like there are a million cloud computing companies out there. I don't necessarily know the difference between any of them, mm -hmm. uh, aside from size of company. So you could say like my insert cloud computing company here. Uh, we harness the power of the cloud to help make employees more efficient. It's not like you have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> but what might be a lot more effective is that, I mean, a little bit longer story where it's like, what we do is when people go to save their work every day, we run into, uh, they typically run into problems one, two, and three. So, instead of that ha so instead of that happening uh we enable them to do blah 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 no mm -hmm. let me do that better um <clears throat> it could say more like so every day isaac lo logs into his computer and he's got a million different files because he works with a million different people and some of those files are really big and some of those are really small and the problem is his macbook can only hold so much so how can we help isaac so he's not constantly like deleting things and wasting his time trying to figure out what's a gigabyte and what's a kilobyte and what's a megabyte. Well, mm -hmm. enter insert company name here. What we do is, and then, and then you get into like how the company helps you. Like being able to picture the character of Isaac in that story is a lot easier for the audience to picture for one thing, but it's just more human. Mm -hmm. um, the other answer I sometimes give is this, like, once upon a time, there was a world without MacBooks and without laptops and without iPhones and iPads and without typewriters and without computers at all and without pen and paper and without quill and ink. Like once upon a time, none of those things existed. So 
how did our history get communicated? And a lot of time it was through story. Hey, yeah. here's what happened to this person. So on some level, you know, I'm not a scientist, but on some level, I think like we just remember it better. That's, mm -hmm. that's my answer for it. It's a long way to say we just remember it better. It, it makes me wonder if there's actually a little bit of ego involved, I guess, like mm. being able to picture ourselves in someone else's shoes or to visualize a thing. Yeah. There's like, maybe that's a dopamine hit. Maybe that's, um, you know, feeling like we relate to somebody because maybe it's empathy. Maybe it's, I mean, it could be all of these things. Right. But I think the story has the power to bring others along on a journey in a way that is, uh, can build, can make or break a relationship, can build trust, can, um, create alignment. Like there's all kinds of, of things. I'm sure you've seen tons of this in your work over the years. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And we are able to put ourselves in the other person's shoes, which, why did you say ego? I feel like that's well, empathy. It, it is empathy, but it's also like, um, like why do, why do we like watching, drama or drama shows or things like that where we can like reality tv right yeah. like we we love imagining that we might have made different choices in the circumstances mm. right and i feel like there's an element of that too and i think that ultimately that's driven by our ego and like trying to to reassure ourselves that either we are as intelligent or more intelligent than another person i don't know i'm <laughs> I'm also just totally making this up, so I could be completely wrong. And feel free to challenge me on this. Well, I think I would I would lean toward. I mean, there's ego in most of our activities, but I think yes, I think it's it's largely, at least if it's done well, I think it's largely empathy. That's my that's my contention. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I will we'll go. We'll we'll lean on empathy because I think that's that's really important, <laughs> especially as relates to building communities, which is the other thing um, yeah. that we talk about a lot. And I think that in this case, story has the power to create uh, shared experiences and to uh, kind of unite people around a cause or a common idea or whatever that is. Um, have you, do you have any examples in your experience that you can give on how you've worked with clients to better strengthen the relationship that they have? Maybe it's a leader with a team. Maybe it's uh, somebody who's actually leading a community. You talked a little bit about ConvertKit and why they brought you in uh, to do that and what benefit that brings. Um, I'd love a couple other examples if you have them. Well, let me give you, <clears throat> Let me give you why it works, and then I want to give you an example. And this is, this is actually not someone I've worked with, but it's just the best that I've, mm -hmm. I've ever seen. So I think one of the reason it, reasons why it works well with building community is because stories are so portable. Uh, if I do my job well, then when I tell a story, it's not like you were there, but you'll be able to remember 80, 90% of it, and you'll be able to then tell that to Nessa, who can tell mm -hmm. it to someone else, who can tell it to someone else, who can tell it to someone else. That's one of the things I love about story is it's, it's free. I don't usually think of it in this marketing, but that actually is what it is. Like I'm, I'm, I'm allowing someone else to uh, do, the, do the work of telling this story for me. And that's a lot harder to do with just a random assortment of words about cloud computing or whatever. So when listeners are trying to build communities, one of the strongest things you can do is to form a story that everybody on your team or in your community can mostly repeat again it's a lot easier for the person who actually experienced it but can mostly repeat like that's 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 a lot easier than mm -hmm. 
giving them a random assortment of words that basically turns into a homework assignment. And the, the guy who I've seen, and this is, you know, there's one keynote that I think people should watch. It's Scott Harrison's from Charity Water. I don't know if you know Scott or not. Mm-hmm. That is the absolute best. And um, I'd stop short of saying the whole community is built around his keynote because they do a lot of smart things and exciting things and well connected. But I mean, he tells this this whole well, he has a whole narrative to use my own language, a whole narrative with a bunch of stories in there. But a lot of those stories are, are, are things that the audience either wouldn't know about or never knew anybody who has experienced it firsthand. So we talked about, as an example, he, uh, so the overall narrative of Scott's life is he was a nightclub promoter, basically reached the end of himself. He's doing drugs, all these things, it's just not making his life better. I mean, like any old episode of VH1 behind the music, right? So deadly combination of sex, drugs, and I guess it wasn't deadly, but sex, drugs, and alcohol, like that's <laughs> not working. Uh, he reaches the end of himself. He just wants to do something that's good for the world. He tries to volunteer, can't volunteer anywhere except this uh, organization, I think it's called Mercy Ships, which he had to pay. So it's not even volunteering anymore, to pay to volunteer. So he goes there, he's working on this boat. This is the overall narrative. Uh, and he winds up being in Africa and he just sees these children walking around with like cleft lips with these giant, giant lips. And he shows these photos in the keynote where it's like, what? you can't believe what you're seeing. That was the impetus for him starting Charity Water. But he's got this whole collection of little stories like that. Uh, ones where he's in the community and he's, he's just, he's walking around, like, I forget what village it is. He's walking around an African village and he's seeing these women carrying buckets on their head. And he's, he's talking to people and he's saying, well, how far did they have to walk for that? And they, they tell him like whatever, how much mileage it was. So they're walking like half the day just to get water. And you're able to picture that whole thing, see those details. And around that, I mean, you should see when he delivers it in real life. I mean, people can't wait to donate money to him. He can barely make it to the end of the talk and people are ready to donate money. And that, that is, uh, the groundswell of that has, has caused Charity Water not just be like an incredibly effective charity, but all these people feel like they're involved in the company, myself included. I don't actually work there. I get an email from them. I feel like I'm in the community. Yeah. So Scott's Scott's story and his overall narrative is is pretty incredible, and uh, you know I don't want people to feel like they have to be on that level. But when you tell a story well, it's something that people can repeat, and it makes the community overall feel like they're invited. They're invited in, whether that's in for a conversation or in to help or whatever you're trying to accomplish. So I'm really curious about how did you end up in this line of work? Like you're really thoughtful about all of this. Uh, I can tell you're passionate, you know a lot, but how did you, what path brought you to this work that you do? Mm. Okay. So even going back to elementary school, speaking was just something I really enjoyed. I think now that I have a little more distance from it, I realized that a lot of it can be tracked back to the fact that I have ADHD, which I didn't learn until earlier this year. My attention span is terrible. When someone gives a speech that goes off topic or is too long mm -hmm. or goes into too much detail or in regular life, if someone is telling me a story and there's more than one, uh-huh, this is a disaster for me. <laughs> I had a sales job straight out of college and I remember I had a review 
and I'm sitting at, you know, like the little circular table and she's, my manager is going through all the, like, here's the stuff you do great. And here's the stuff you do poorly. And the review is like exemplary. And we're talking about me moving up in the company. She's like, but you're going to have to come up with a way to not look disgusted to be in a meeting. And I'm like, huh? She's like, yes, <laughs> you look so mad to be there. And that's because meetings were terribly inefficient. And I, I guess was not very good at hiding it. I've come to find out this is actually like pretty common with ADHD people is we really like need to be writing things down lest our mind wander. Mm -hmm. And I guess in my case, I just looked mad. <laughs> um, I think really because of my attention span, I, I've always been trying to help people cut to the chase faster and more effectively. Now, none of that would have mattered if I didn't get a really lucky break. Uh, <clears throat> I, I was an adjunct professor at Portland State. Uh, I was in, um, and I, I was teaching a class. It's like a four hour class. So, you know, you get breaks. I would give nice long breaks, partially for myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember I was, this is back in the days of VCR. So I'm like wheeling the TV with the VCR back to the, the room where those are held. I had a little VCR, like, was blinking like 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, just a few seconds ago. And a guy comes up to me that I thought was in my class. Apparently, he was just there because his girlfriend was, and he wanted to support her. Okay. I didn't even notice. I just thought he was in the class. He's like, hey, Mike, you're a really engaging presenter. I actually work at Nike. I would love to bring you in to present on main campus sometime. Is that something you'd be interested in? Well, at this point... I think I was getting paid like $1,600 to teach this two credit class or something like that. Like, I, I'm like, sure. Like, that sounds like something I should do. I did not know that, that, was, that helping people with speeches was something that you could do for a job. I gave a presentation at Nike. It was good. It was the first time in my life that I had encountered a situation where the audience intimidated me. I distinctly mm -hmm. remember being on a stage, like spotlight on me and looking out at the audience. And I, it was the first time that I can ever remember where... I couldn't tell if they liked what I was saying. Mm. Uh, afterwards, I finished. I, I had a good ending and everything. Like I knew it was going to end well. And in hindsight, I'd give myself a B minus. At the time, I'd probably give myself an A minus. Uh, but afterwards, there were like a couple of people who came up and started talking to me. And they said, you know, at Nike, we have this storytellers group on campus. And then I, I started, I'm like, okay, well, so are, are there are more things like this out there. So I started doing some research and I found this company... Um, in the Bay Area that I, I wound up doing work for for several years, flying all over the world, helping companies learn how to present. And from there, I, I spawned off to working with all these people one-on-one -on -one that Isaac mentioned at the top of the show, working with people one-on-one. -on -one. Lots of entrepreneurs, not always not always James Clear, like number one best-selling book on all of Amazon, but working with people one-on-one. -on -one. And I've found that uh, speaking is really important. Speaking is great for getting on stages, building communities, all this stuff. And again, a lot of times the story, the stories that you tell are the speech. So um, I think I've, I've really focused in on how to make stories as effective as possible because a lot of times that's the stuff that people remember and that's the stuff that gets passed on from person to person. And uh, so I, I feel like that's, speaking in general is my specialty, but, or helping people with speaking in general is my specialty, but especially the story part. Like that's, that's the part that lights me up and it tends to light the audience up as well. Yeah. Uh, so in your in your experience with 
with business leaders in particular, it sounds you, know, you have tons of corporate experience in as well as the entrepreneurs that you've worked with. Um, how, how have you seen leaders able to leverage storytelling, to lean into telling good stories and presenting well in order to build deeper relationships? Is it all about that empathy that we were talking about before, or is there something more there? It's usually empathy. So the, it's like my friend Chelsea says, with stories, you're often not looking for remarkable, you're looking for relatable. Now there's mm. some exceptions to that. Scott Harrison's an exception. Uh, beginning of James Clear's book is an exception. He gets hit in the head with a baseball bat and gets, has to get transported to the hospital in, I think, Cincinnati. That's an exception. But for the most part, what your audience is looking for is stuff that's relatable. So relatable doesn't mean I like literally went through the same thing that you did. But if you can talk, if as a leader, you're, you're talking to your employees or your department or your community, and you're able to tell these stories that uh, lets the audience get to know you a little bit better, that's, that's a connection that they are looking for. So that really helps community, that really helps them get to know you better, and it's, it's a pretty big win for everyone involved. But of course, especially in the corporate world, most people run from that because they're, they're scared that if the audience ever knows that they accidentally replied mm -hmm. to all, that they will no longer respect their boss, which of course is not true. Too much vulnerability. The fear yeah. of too much vulnerability. I can't believe Isaac replied to all instead of just me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, those are the things that people, that's actually the stuff that people love and, and wins them over. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you. I, um, I heard you hint earlier that you might be willing to help me tell a yeah, story. Yeah, you want to do the challenge? Do you want to, are we going to do this? What do you need for me? Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to have, this is an unfair activity, but I love doing it. And I'm just trying to friend, help our friend Isaac here, right? Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have Isaac tell a story. I don't know what it's about, but we're going to, we're going to have Isaac tell a story. And then I'm going to, after you finish, I'm going to help you rethink it. Or maybe you just ace it. Maybe there's nothing for me to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to see if I can help you improve the story. Okay. Do you want me to just start telling it? If you're ready. Yeah. Do we All need right. to know anything? Uh, I, I think I will explain it probably in too great a detail as we go. So, <laughs> so we're just going to run with it. Uh, so, uh, several years ago, uh, after the total solar eclipse that happened, I don't remember when that was 2016, 2017, something like that. Anyway, uh, we were on our way home from, uh, seeing it and we stopped at a park for a picnic lunch. And my partner and I had our dog, Zeus, uh, who is asleep here next to me. And we were hanging out in the park with the dog on the leash, just having a good time, picnicking. And we hear this like clop, 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 clop. And we look over down the path and there are two uh, park rangers or police officers or something riding horses through the park. And... We're just kind of watching as they get closer. Our dog, Zeus, notices them for the first time. And he left his body. Like he jumped up and was so overcome with this these two enormous strange creatures that he was seeing that he had never seen before, I presume. 
that he it looked like his soul left his body and he just was like completely bewildered in a way we've never seen before and he's just watching them and they just clop 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 by and off they go and that's the end of the story <laughs> anticlimactic help me mike tell my story better <laughs> Okay, um, this is the unfair part. I put you on this spot. Okay, so uh, what happened there is what happens to a lot of people, which is what we got. The most important thing that we can do is to figure out what what's the point of the story to edit it mm -hmm. so that it matters. So one of the advantages that you would have in real life that we don't have on this podcast is that that can transition to something else. Mm -hmm. So naturally, you would use a story to lead to a main point, right? Right. So what what's I don't know if you thought about this. What's the, point? what's the point? Yeah, what's the point of that story? It was funny? No. Um, uh, <laughs> dogs never cease to surprise and delight their owners. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, so let's make it a little broader, mm -hmm. which is the, the, the wonder that you saw in Zeus's eyes, or yeah. the, the sense of wonder, or what it's like when you encounter something exciting for the first time. Mm-hmm. Does that seem like that's really what this is about? Love it. Okay, cool. So that would be like the end of it. And you would, you know, you'd have to come up with a way to use that to transition to the next thing. Uh, the story itself, I don't know how long that was, but it didn't, it didn't seem like it was going on for too long. In fact, I thought there was going to be a lot more to it. So you, I, w I was attempting to be brief <laughs> and concise because I was like, "Oh, don't give too many details." And then, like, I was like, "Who cares that it was a solar eclipse? Who cares that?" You oh, know? good, you're doing your own critiquing. Yeah, right? so I was going to yeah. tell you. Yeah, that stuff doesn't matter. Like <laughs> the eclipse. The, so the eclipse could matter if it was just like you're you're so frustrated because I, I remember that being on uh, I five and it's just like, oh my gosh, we're not moving. Oh, anymore. I know. So it's like the traffic yeah. was awful. Yes. Then it's then it's then it's we decide like we can't handle this or maybe Zeus is whining in the car and it's like, all right, we're just going to get off. We'll have a picnic. We'll deal with the mm -hmm. rest of this later. Um, so that that's when the eclipse could matter. But just as a, a reference point, it doesn't matter that it was the eclipse. So right. just go in one direction or another with that. Uh, I would encourage you to tell us what kind of dog Zeus is. Oh, yeah. Some details or at least the help imagine this, the dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So is Zeus an ironic name or is Zeus huge? Uh, he's he's uh, medium large. It's not ironic, okay. but it's not. He's he is not a Great Dane. I will say okay. that. he's fifty five pounds. Okay. All right. So my dog's name is Zeus. Uh, he, that name might be a slight exaggeration for his size, but he is big. He's like fifty five pounds. Mm -hmm. You might say it's something like that. Uh, and then when you're talking about so that. Nice job. We can picture the picnic table, the clop, 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 like that detail and saying those words. Excellent. Clop, mm -hmm. clop, clop. And I would encourage you to even like maybe slow it down a little bit. Clop, clop. And here's the clop, clop, clop. And then he leaves his body, which is a real culmination. Right. But uh, one thing that we want to be clear about is was is leaving his body angry or is it excited? I know now, but during the story, I didn't know if that was angry or excited. Right. OK, good. Note. So. Uh, it was, and I don't, I don't have terror. a great... Knowing Zeus it is was, hardly terror. <laughs> it was bewilderment no? and, and like, uh, caution, right? It was like, <laughs> it was wonder, like, what is this? I want it. It's enormous. It might kill me. 
I mean, yeah, these yeah, were, they weren't Clydesdales, but they were big horses. <laughs> so that's uh, that's like the perfect. I actually love that as a transition. I can see the look on his face as best I can interpret a dog's facial mm -hmm. expressions saying, is this thing friendly? What's it going to do? Might it kill me? And then you transition slightly to and then like very next line is transitioning to what you want to talk about. And mm. then it's like, which is exactly how a lot of us feel when uh, we try new software or whatever that thing is. All right. There we go. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little facetious. Software is not going to kill you, but it's true. There is that. But... Like, this thing is new. Do I really? What should I do with this? Yeah. It's kind of how I felt when I looked at when I used ChatGPT for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's there's exactly the transition how I right there. There it is. Wonderful, amazing. There's your AI. There's your AI related email or speech. Isaac. Yes, amazing, uh, Mike. That was a fantastic little five minute lesson in how to make a story better, a, a, an anticlimactic and pointless story better. Uh, <laughs> but we found it, and it was it was great. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. We really enjoyed having this conversation today. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, totally. So I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, I do group coaching, and I do corporate trainings. Uh, you can find out more about me at bestspeech.co, bestspeech.co. And I have a little freebie for your group. So mm. uh, when I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, the things that people tend to have the most difficulty with that is super important is the beginning. So I think a lot of times people will start, at least in a speech, people will start with, and they don't know what to do. So it's like, hey, I'm glad to be here. Atlanta is wonderful this time of year. And that's the beginning. And you'd be, there, there are much better strategies to put together. So for those of you who are interested in speaking, I've put together a PDF that is a free download just for you. It is my strategies for starting a presentation one of those strategies as you probably figured out is a story um frankly like this is that pdf is worth thousands if you're speaking from a stage because it wins the audience over and then you're more confident so i'm gonna park that at bestspeech.co slash kickass bestspeech.co slash kickass Thanks for listening to this episode of Make It Kick-Ass. We hope you found it entertaining and helpful. If hosting a community event is on your radar, visit GetEventLab.com to take our free 30-minute training called Community Event Mastery. That's GetEventLab.com or use the link in the show notes. Make It Kick-Ass is hosted by Isaac Watson and Nessa Jimenez. Post-production audio by Chris Nelson at Mittens Media. Our theme song is Feel It by Dojo for Crooks. Make It Kick-Ass is a production of Kick-Ass Conferences, an event strategy and design agency serving leaders of growing communities. Mm -hmm.